um, followed the slightest bit of news in Nashville this week, you've probably noticed that it's off the chain. Uh, you know, legislators have gathered for a special governor-mandated uh, session to do something about gun violence. But um, you know, the only the only thing that was, seemed to be happening was that they got really stuck on the the rules that they had to make before the rules and uh, and then what followed was all the highlights of how people were breaking or getting busted for the special courthouse rules and so I don't know that they've actually made any laws yet but um, of course this particular group that really stood out right is uh, the mothers and uh, and this group moms demand action which is um, kind of a powerful force uh, to, to to see and so you may have seen how some others were removed for simply holding up signs and stuff and so it's been pretty fascinating to watch in living in Nashville and having experienced some of this um, and so I find it particularly um, kind of a powerful moment for us to dwell on and think about how for literally thousands of years mothers have been standing in the gap for uh, placing themselves between the, the empire and their children and uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild. So this text, this text is a really powerful story. And, um, and I want to walk through a little bit of this and just share a little bit this morning. And then we'll see how much we can get to. But um, I, I remember uh, vividly the predicament that uh, Emily and I were in uh, when Daly was born. And one of the stories that I've shared multiple times probably and uh, it was a week after I had my hand accident, which most of you know about, and that basically like cut all my tendons and nerves and arteries and almost died kind of situation. And so I had, so, so right, right as, you know, Daly's about to be born, um, her, her labor, Emily's labor has stalled, and uh, and I had an, one of my arms in a sling, and um, and so but it, and 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 it seemed like nothing was happening. So we we sent the midwives home. Our midwife lives like hours away, and uh, story comes back. Story had been at at her grandmother's house, and and we get her in bed upstairs, and so it's just kind of us. And about nine o'clock that night we're like let's try to get some rest like this baby's not not happening and uh and of course you know this is always how it goes right that that the moment that you let go is the moment you receive it are you with me or sometimes the moment the screaming starts so uh right and so we you know it's like 10 minutes after laying down boom right she's coming she's coming so um i remember i was thinking recently one of the very first sermons i ever preached you usually cringe when you th think about those types of moments but i remember uh, one of the very first sermons i ever preached was out of this exodus 1 passage exodus 1 exodus 2 and it was about like letting go and I can't remember what the circumstances were that connected that sermon for me, but I, it was there nonetheless. And I just remember being so grabbed by this Exodus narrative and, and this thought of like, can you imagine being a mother 
being a, a parent and kneeling over a, a river and in an effort to save your baby, your child's life, you're going to literally let go of this child, put this child in a floating basket made of papyrus and send this child down a river. Like most of us, we can't even imagine something like that, doing something like that, actually letting go like that. Like the, the fear and the faith and the courage and the helplessness that would be involved in something like that. It's, it's hard to imagine, right? Um, our story this week is one, of course, we're a little more familiar with now. But it's a story of slavery, it's a story of Egypt, it's a story of whispers of an exodus, it's a story of a villain, nameless king, but it's also a story of two named heroes. Uh, can anybody tell me who they are? I'll give you a clue. It's not Moses and Aaron. Shipra and Pua, right? <coughs> Shipra and Pua. 6,000 years later, we have their names. That's how you know they were good midwives, by the way, uh, right? That, that, that we have their names here. Shipra actually means like fairness or clearness, uh, right? Uh, could mean garnished or uh, even beauty. Pua uh, would, would be translated as splendid. It's interesting, it's from like an unused root meaning uh, like to glitter or brilliancy. Uh, so it's kind of cool. And so these two women have shown forth through generations, right, as their faithfulness to God is part of the reason we're even gathering here today, okay? That, that these women have quite literally midwifed the kingdom of God uh, into the present for us and into the world for us this morning. And so, but can you imagine, right? King of Egypt, most powerful guy in the whole world, calls you into his office and he's like, so, Shipran Pua, you know, it's very sinister. I'm going to need you to murder all of the Hebrew boys. Um, uh, yeah, so go out and do that. And, um, and then, of course, we read the narrative that they disobey him. They actually don't do it because, for whatever crazy reason, right, they didn't fear the king, but they feared God instead, it says. Which, there's a whole question in there just for us, isn't it? Like, do you fear God that much to to disobey the empire at the risk of your own life, like, that's something to marinate on. And so, uh, also I find really interesting that Exodus 1 is like the story of women, right? You get all these ladies that like, the, we first learned that the powerful, the powerful man, Joseph, is like gone, he's forgotten, and it literally said like, nobody remember him, and, uh, or the king didn't at least. And which is interesting because we get this nameless jabroni king and like we don't, like it doesn't give us who he is really, um, but it does name the midwives, right? And so enter Shipra and Pua into the narrative who were to kill all the boys but let the girls live and it was in their hands. And then the narrative moves to Moses' mother and then the narrative moves to Moses' sister and then the narrative moves to Pharaoh's daughter. 
uh, it's really interesting. And this is a female story of women, uh, right, who God is powerfully, you know, you could argue setting in place here, uh, right, midwifing the kingdom of God. And so, anyway, um, so after, after my hand accident happened, I, I remember feeling like just extremely, I remember feeling extremely vulnerable and I remember being like really emotionally unstable uh, and I remember being a lot, a lot of drugs as well but um, you know and I feel like I was just like like it's like when you really can confront your finitude like if you've ever had a moment where you really confront your finitude and and you're just like crying a lot you know and and ironically like Maybe that was my most emotionally stable place that I've ever been. You know, there's a bit of irony there. You could say it either way. But I remember that, and on, the, on, on, on that, like, we had no work at that point, no income. Emily didn't have a job either. And so and then this, this baby is coming. And, you know, and, and again, I've got one arm in this scenario. And she, you know, uh, she went into labor. And she's like, call the midwife. You know, and, and she's like death grip uh, on my only hand. And then she's like, call the midwife, you know. And this is before I had like, I could like yell at Siri or something or we had Alexa or anything. You know, I was like, you got to let go of my hand. She's like, no. <laughs> and uh, once I finally broke away, dialed the number, they were caming. They came. And it was this beautiful, like I, I think about this experience of Daly's birth and like, I remember on that night, on December 17th, 2015, like our family was like in the hands of others. Like God came to our family in the form of midwives and, and, I, and they like descended upon us. And uh, with, within, I don't know how long, like my, first my sister showed up. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner, but she's a great aunt as well. And then right after that, um, a, a, a family friend slash community doula showed up. I know that, that several folks in Kaleo at least had, she had been the doula for. She came because phone calls were being made out into the midwifery community. And, uh, and so she came. And then, and then right after her, some other doula showed up. Like at this point, people are just like, I don't know who these women are. And... Um, she showed up. Then uh, eventually the midwife's assistant made it back. Uh, and so she's there. Uh, then the midwife's daughter came. No idea. Never seen this person. She's in there. Like the women have descended upon us. And then finally, finally, because she lives hours away, like our actual midwife gets there just in time for the touchdown. You know, it's like running the play and comes in in full command mode. I mean, she looked at my sister. She's like, who you be? You know, and she's like, you know, I'll stand over here. And, uh, and it was just like no less than six women were in our home that night, like midwifing us and Little Daily into the world. And I just remember being just such a physical and emotional wreck at that whole thing and um, just, you know, I, I think I was just like weeping, you know. And you realize, something about that, you, you realize that in your helplessness, like when you're truly helpless, like that becomes the moment that you 
most easily or maybe most clearly begin to recognize, um, you know, love. And that just like deep gratitude for life. Because if you've ever been midwifed, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you've ever been completely vulnerable enough to have your life in the hands of other people, of the caring hands around you, like that's raw. That's just, that's just like vivid, right? It's clear and it's brilliant, right? It's, it's Shipra and it's Pua. Are you with me? And, um, and I believe that like that represents, that's just really coming to the surface for me this morning. That just really represents what I believe that the people of God and the family of God and the community of God and the kinds of relationships we're meant to have one an, with one another to, to carry, right, uh, one another in deep and meaningful ways and, and to recognize when, when one another's life is at risk, right, to see uh, to see when the faceless empire uh, is coming for our children, right? To step in the gap of our time for the least of these, and especially for God's people. And so, and I think about, I think about a night, right, like that. And I hope that you guys have something that you can think about like that as well, right? I, I hope that we all have something that we can think about that a, a, t a night where we desperately needed carried and and that um and that we can remember a time when the midwives the people of god had you in their arms right and if we can think about that and hold that in our hearts and our minds for a minute for a minute i think that that's what it's like to be loved by God. And that's how God likes to remind his people that you are loved this morning and that it's okay to be helpless and it's okay to be held in the arms of the others. You know, there's, there's a lot going on in this story and I... Um, you know, we, we know a lot from this story, and, I, and, I, and if you read it closely, you catch all sorts of things and motifs. And, and, and you see that, that Pharaoh's daughter hears the cry of little Moses, just as in the next chapter, God hears the cry of God's people. And then there's this motif of, of being fruitful and multiplied right? That God tells us to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1, and then that motif is carried all the way into Exodus 1, and you see it, you start to see it all over the place. Um, and, and so you, you actually notice it in verse 7, it says the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. It's really interesting because you don't catch it without the Hebrew a lot, but Fruitful and multiplied just shows up there again and with two other verbs. Prolific, which is like this idea of teeming with life. And then strong, right? Uh, mighty, powerful. And then uh, this ancient author adds in this other adverb, which in your, in your, depending on your translation, it could be like exceedingly much or it could be like very, very. And so... Um, and in the very next verse, verse 8, the first thing we hear from the king is that he is threatened by this fruitfulness or by this power of blessing that comes from the Hebrew people. Uh, 
And, and then you get, it just sort of snowballs from there. You get this, this term storehouses. Uh, and one commentator says, you know, storehouses is like, a, it's almost like a metaver, uh, metaver, metaphor for like um, state policy, right? And what this was really about is that this is not about like economic good luck, but rather about evidence of a policy of coercion and accumulation. And it says, you get to verse 12, and it says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Um, There's that verb again, right? And so the more the empire abuses and oppresses God's people, the more this slave community was fruitful and multiplied. It's really fascinating. And then this, this is key because you begin to see in this overarching narrative, and if we had time to go through all of Exodus, you would keep seeing this, that the empire is helpless to stop it or even slow it down. And then finally you see it again, right, when it says the midwives couldn't get to the babies in time because they were full of such vigor and power of blessing, right? Here's the deal this morning. I'm going to wrap up because the kids are coming in here, but I think there are two good news is for us this morning. The first one is that we get to participate in this amazing, life-giving fruitfulness and multiplication of the kingdom of God, just like the midwives did so long ago. And just like actually what's happening in this New Testament text in Matthew, right, as Jesus sits with his disciples in front of the gates of hell, right, very similar to the, the Hebrew people in Egypt. And, and he says, here's the keys. Bind it or loosen it. Unlock it. Midwife it. Make way. Help birth it. Carry those who need carried. And so there's this first question for us, that this, this beckoning, like how can we be participants in midwife this thing forward? That's a real question. That's not a metaphorical question, right? How can we be God's fruitful and multiplying means even amidst the empire today and where and how are we spending our lives that way but there's also this second good good news right is that uh is is of god's life-giving kingdom in our own life this morning and man like how are you allowing yourself to be carried How are we allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and to even be helpless? And I think about just like accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, right? It's like this this idea of surrender is is like the road trip for the people of God because it's the thing that we have to come back to again and again and again. It's the repeated refrain. It's the daily walking with God. And so the question resurfaces, I guess, for me many years later is, is what does it mean to let go? What does it mean to let go this morning? And that's something that each of us can only answer for ourselves. uh, And I think is a good word for us here this morning because all that propping all that posturing that, that you may or may not be up to in the world that you may not or maybe doing in your life. It's like, man, we're all just trying to put a brave face on sometimes, aren't we? And we're all just trying to keep it together. And sometimes it's like, you know, like the forces or whatever those, you know, what insert whatever spiritual 
uh, term you want to use there. Like it just seems like, man, it's like being attacked or, or, you know, with finances and health and our arms are falling off and all this stuff. Um, But I think that's the good news this morning is that we don't have to carry that alone uh, in the presence of this family that is God's family this morning. What does it mean to be carried in the arms of God this morning? You know, when we do bedtime in our house, it's like right at the end of the day, right at the end of the day, we, we, we get our jammies on. Everybody get their jammies on before bed? Yeah, we do that. We read some books. Anybody reads books before bed? Yeah, yeah. And then something like crazy happens. Uh, oh, we brush our teeth. Anybody brush their teeth before bed? Yeah. yeah. Anybody brush their teeth before bed? And then we read books. Reading books is the last thing before, like, of course, 30 minutes of songs. Uh, but something happens whenever we read our books... And, and somehow after books, it's like the kids, like their legs don't work anymore. Anybody else experience that? And they always, they always, will you carry me to my bed? Have you ever said that? You ever said that? You ever want to be carried to your bed? Yeah. We're still missing like three of you guys. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it's okay to want to be carried, isn't it? Sometimes daddy needs carried, but no one ever wants to carry daddy for whatever reason. So, um, yeah. May you this morning be willing to carry and be willing to be carried this morning. Let's pray, and then hopefully some other kids will come back in because... I want to do something else with you guys, so. Okay, we're going to pray. Lord, we give you thanks for um, your beautiful word, God, in this scripture uh, that we name as special, set apart from all other words, as it is important to remember, God, as we receive it as a gift to carry us to shapen us and sharpen us and make us into your image, God, which is our salvation. So we give you thanks. Amen.